1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Kaveh. Real quick, before we get started with the show, I just want to make sure I get all the plugs right away because it's very important to me. First of all, thank you to Nadine for help with production. Appreciate it, buddy. Show would not be happening without you. Next, our co-host today, Mark Gasway, great musician. You've heard me talk about him before. You can find his music pretty much anywhere you find music, Spotify, YouTube, etc. You can go to his website, markgasway.com. It's Mark with a C. Or, better yet, if you're in the LA area, watch him play at the Varnish. That's a club where he kind of manages the music there. Or you can watch him at a place called the Descanso Botanical Gardens. I've never been there, but it sounds beautiful. And the Cool thing about that is on the 23rd, he's going to be doing a slack key guitar performance from four to six. And slack key guitar is a really fun, cool type of music. And if you haven't heard it, I recommend going, checking it out, saying hi. Lastly, this episode is brought to you by Lucky Dog Hot Sauces, the maker of my favorite hot sauces. Check out their latest stuff, The Year of the Dog. Uh, It's delicious. I highly recommend it. And if you haven't, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. I really appreciate that. I read them, I enjoy reading them, and I will likely also read it on air. Anyways, enjoy the show. Are you guys ready? Are you guys excited? Yeah. Okay. Good. (laughs) And welcome back to the House of Pod. My name is Kaveh. I'll be your host for this little humor-adjacent medical podcast. I am a uh, doctor, I should mention that. Um, I don't think I ever have in any of the 188 episodes before this. (laughs) <laughs> but I was told I should mention that I am also a uh, medical doctor. Um, that might be of interest to the listeners. Um,
1: okay, I'm going to interrupt with a que- uh, with a question before. Please,
0: us have been introduced before we tell you.
1: Are there non medical doctor gastroenterologists walking around out there?
0: Did I mention that I was a gastroenterologist? I didn't say that. I mean, no, like, I'm you been, spoiled it, Gasway. I'm a gastroenterologist. That other there's two no. voices you've heard and. I'm going to introduce both of them right now before the show goes completely off the rails. First, returning late. guest it's doomed. It's doomed. <laughs> returning guest co-host Mark Gasway, musician, uh, all around beautiful mammal uh, living in Los Angeles. Uh, Mark, welcome back to the show.
1: How's it going, party people? Joining
0: um... us today to talk about a lot of stuff, including pathology. We're gonna talk about pathology. Is someone that you know very well, I didn't know until recently, but I'm very happy to have gotten to know this individual. Um, And we're gonna talk about how we all know each other. Dr. Jason Rosenbaum, he's the medical director of the Kaiser Permanente Northern California um, Genomics Lab. He is a molecular pathologist. Dr. Rosenbaum, can I call you, can I call you Jason? Please, please. Can I call you Jace?
2: No, no, you cannot do that.
0: Jason? Um, uh, hey buddy, did I get your credentials right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, notably though, you you mentioned that Mark is a mammal. You yeah. didn't ascribe any order of uh, Linnaean taxonomy to me.
0: Yeah, you're a plant. Oh.
2: <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, I-
1: I I will say, uh, I will say, Jason, that um, uh, Kaveh and I spent a certain amount of time debating whether we were going to refer to you throughout the course of the episode as variably Dr. Rosenbaum, Dr. Rosen, Rosen, Dr. Rosen. But we weren't at all confident that enough people had seen the movie Fletch and would maybe think that.
0: um, Yeah, they wouldn't get it. They would. They would. Maybe me no, think it was anti-Semitic. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. They would hear an Iranian guy saying weird anti-Semitic shit and that would be the end of this podcast. So we decided against that route, but uh, just know in our heart that we're uh, making fun of you. <laughs> okay. I, I basically uh, uh,
2: make that assumption all the time. And notably, I yeah. just started, I picked up the Fletch books
0: recently and and they're actually pretty good. I heard the new John Ham like reboot is closer to it and is supposed to be very good as well. I've I not seen it. I liked yeah. It. Enjoyed it. Yeah, D- it different sort of thing. But, uh, I mean, I, we should we should I should note that ninety nine percent of this audience is too young to have seen the Fletch movies, mm-hmm. and probably has no interest in watching the John Ham mm-hmm. reboot. So they have no idea what the fuck we're talking about right now. What do mean? What do you, you, mean, the, what do you mean they're too young for
1: that? Right there.
0: What's that? Wait, what happened? You dropped your first f bomb on that. Oh no! I'm I'm surprised it's taken that long for me to drop one.
1: I'm, we're it's, we're still in PG-13. You say
0: one more. This this podcast is now rated R. <laughs> uh, if you're listening to this with your kids in the car. Um, I'm sorry, I do apologize. I but I just you should have known better at this point. You should know better than to do that with your kids in the car. Be be
2: responsible and put the car seat on the roof while you're listening to the podcast.
0: Yeah, animals. So let's get let's get to uh, some some very basics of how we all know each other. Mark and I met at Berkeley when we were undergrads. um, And we've been friends since then. You knew Mark back then in Berkeley as well. Yes. I did not know you then, but you were friends with Mark. And then later in life, Mark introduced you and me. And then we became friends. Oh, we're friends, right? I think we're friends. Aren't we friends, Jason? Yeah, Jason? I think
2: it's the transitive property of
0: friendship. Yeah, yeah. I, and you were the uh, editor of something called the Heuristic Squelch. Now, yes. can you explain what that is? is to people who are not from Berkeley? Sure. Um, The heuristic squelch
2: is the um, current, the modern version of UC Berkeley's humor magazine. Um, Older alumni may be more familiar with a a rag called the Pelican, um, which was around for a long time. Um, But then I think uh, sometime in the late 80s, The heuristic squelch popped up as uh, a a bit more alternative. Um, I think the the Pelican had gone away uh, a few years before that. And um, yeah, so it was a student run humor magazine. Um, I just got in as sort of a hobby, you know, something to pass the time. And then pretty quickly, actually, during my freshman or sophomore year, things sort of fell apart administratively with the squelch. And uh, it was up to a couple of us to sort of pull things together and make sure it lived on. And so one of those people was me. And one of those people was a mutual friend of um, Mark's and mine. And uh, so we sort of rebuilt the squelch. Uh, I was the editor in chief. And uh, Mark uh, was sort of a satellite character around the squelch. I don't think Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you ever actually wrote an article um per se. But I I know you were you attended meetings and contributed jokes here and there.
1: I never wrote anything that was published.
0: I, oh. I submitted, but I'm I wasn't funny enough. My God, that's fucking brutal. This is good. This could go to some weird places that I'm not gonna take it to, but I just want the listeners out there to know I hear it too. I will say this the heuristic squelch was, and I'm I'm assuming still is, it was hilarious. I didn't know you at the time, Jason, but when Mark said, Hey, you know this guy that is also a doctor that you that you know is on Twitter as well, you know, he used to be the editor of the squelch. It gave you automatic cred in my mind (laughs) because I was like, the squelch was so fucking funny. It for our listeners out there, it was essentially Sorry, similar. I mean, there's a lot of similarities, don't you think, between the heuristic Squelch and The Onion, right?
2: Yeah, I think so. It was a little less um, directly uh, parodying news. It, there, were, there was a little more sort of flexibility in our format than The Onion has or had, even at that time. But, um, yeah, uh, it was basically the same idea, at least at that time. You know, at that time, The Onion was just the Internet hadn't happened yet. If we can all date ourselves now uh, i was at berkeley from 94 to 98 and um the internet was just sort of coming into its own right about then um and so the onion wasn't the onion the onion was basically what we were doing just at the university of wisconsin
0: yeah
2: Um, so yeah um very similar Um, like i said we were a little bit more flexible with formats we did a little bit more um uh of like parodies of television shows and things like that that the onion didn't really do but um yeah very similar idea similar idea to the harvard lampoon um a
0: a, a lot of colleges have magazines like that yeah Uh, this is something that i'm embarrassed to ask but what does heuristic squelch mean what 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 does the title mean
2: so a a heurist I, i i was not part of naming the magazine but um a uh, heuristic is a sort of um, intellectual device, an intellectual model you use to um, teach somebody something, and a squelch is basically uh, uh, the squawky noise you get on a CB radio, um, and I think the people that named it just thought they were two funny words to put together. I, I don't, I don't know that there was much more to it than that. <laughs>
1: I think heuristic is like a learning system where it's like heuristic versus algorithmic or like, yeah, right. Algorithm is like you follow a process in order to work through things. And heuristic is, is kind of like you um, teach yourself by
0: trial and error um, or something like that. All right. So just two funny words put together. I get it. Okay. So you had this writing background, you were doing the comedy fun Mm -hmm. stuff and then you decide to become a doctor uh yeah decide
2: is sort of overstating it um you're drafted I I, uh, yeah I always wanted to be a scientist um I was heavily committed to biology um at Berkeley I did a, a, a combined evolutionary biology and molecular biology degree and um, my honors thesis project was to uh, put together and describe a a small dinosaur that had been collected um, and stored at the University of California Museum of Paleontology for something like 15 years and just nobody had looked at it. So that that was my deal. Um, I ended up going to medical school as part of the MD PhD program because I thought um, that I would get a sort of more holistic understanding of biology. Uh, by doing that, um, your listeners may know or they may not know, when when you do a, a PhD, especially a molecular biology PhD, it's very narrow. Um, you're often focused on maybe one molecule in in one organ system in one species so maybe you focus on a, a specific gene in flies or something like that and that seemed to kind of narrow for what i wanted to to do so um i applied to an md phd program i was accepted and then the phd really didn't work out very well for me and so i ended up treating the md as kind of a fallback and i ended up completing the md and going into pathology and then finally molecular pathology
0: before we get into molecular pathology i want to just sort of talk about pathology pathology like i don't know if a lot of people know what that really means i don't know if a lot of doctors really know what pathologists do to be completely honest with you mark let me start with let me just start by asking you a question here what do you think a pathologist does
1: um my recollection, uh, I don't know if you knew this about me, actually, by the way, uh, when I was in high school, I had a summer job as a surgical orderly.
0: I did not know that.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, Tarzana regional medical center, which became Providence medical in Tarzana years later. Um, and my recollection of what the pathology guy was is that, um, you know, there'd be like a, a biopsy. Somebody would take like, you know, a a piece of somebody's, you know, tissue and then put it in like a petri dish and the pathology guy was the guy that like they'd send it to and he would kind of analyze that piece for
0: things. <laughs> okay, so how, how did he do there, Jason?
2: Um, <clears throat> he captured a, a lot of it. Um, that, that's not a bad sort of summary of at least a part of pathology. That's the part of pathology that um, we would describe as anatomic pathology that's Um, when you use a microscope to look at tissue. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, Mark just described what a surgical pathologist does, um, a lot of looking at biopsies, uh, a lot of looking at tumors, um, things like that. Um, Also part of anatomic pathology are um, uh, forensic pathologists. So people that do autopsies for a living Um, and so that's where you get your CSI and your, uh, Marcus Welby for, for those that are even older, older than us. Sure. Um, so, uh, so there's a
0: difference. there's like a difference between molecular pathologist and surgical pathologist, the pathologists who are looking at like genetics, like you versus people who are looking at tissue samples from like a a surgery or something like
2: that. Though, the way I describe it to, um, people outside of medicine, you know, the so-called Thanksgiving dinner conversation is, um, anything, any, anytime your doctor says we're waiting for the lab, you're, you're waiting for a pathologist basically. And so, and really pathology encompasses all the things we just talked about, but also, um, any kind of blood test, um, receiving blood from the blood bank genetic testing, which is what I do, um, all that is uh, uh, covered by pathology. Uh, some some estimates have put um, roughly 70% of medical decisions uh, rely on data supplied by a pathologist, ultimately.
0: You guys are incredibly important in the medical process. I can say that as someone who does procedures and takes biopsies. It's a it's a massive part of the process let, let me ask you this though until i met you i had not really understood the concept of there being different types of pathologists i didn't yeah. know that there was like you know the molecular guys working on the genetic levels versus like the surgical guys that i think i'm probably more used to working with yeah in the think- world in the world of pathology are the uh the surgical pathologists kind of like the jocks and like the molecular <laughs> pathologist <kind of> like <laughs> nerds? um
2: I, yeah no i I, I don't know. Um, I mean, there are certainly, just as there are in medicine and out in the world, there are stereotypes and some of them, uh, you know, ring true for better or worse. Um, I think the the forensic pathologists uh, tend to have a reputation as being a little um,
0: odd. Uh, it's a bit morbid. It's a bit, you're dealing a with... Bit, you're, you, those morbid,
2: the, yeah. Those are the
0: people, like, are they coroners, forensic pathologists, or do you have to be a pathologist to be a coroner, or is that it different? Depends on the
2: the, it depends on the state. The, the state regulations, the state laws sort of dictate who who is a
0: coroner and who isn't. Um, so some states could just let Mark be like a coroner. Mark's in. No, no state would let Mark be a coroner. Right, okay. Florida might.
2: uh, okay Florida
0: let's be fair Um,
2: yeah so um the forensic pathologists do have um maybe a a little bit of a reputation for being odd in different ways um uh I don't know that surgical pathologists have any particular reputation I mean those of us that are in medicine we all sort of um know uh the reputation for pathologists generally as being somewhat introverted um and maybe um uh not that interested in in interacting with people i guess um there there's probably you know there's probably some underlying truth to that although i i I would say it's overstated a bit um i i don't think there are any sort of cowboy or rock star groups in pathology um (laughs) um
0: i would say oh, I'm speaking... so, i can just to just to tell you i love the concept of there being amongst pathologists like certain pathologists who think they're a lot cooler than the other pathologists i think that <laughs> would be awesome
2: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean um i th- there are differences though i mean b- molecular pathology in particular is a very new field um and so i have found it to be uh, somewhat more diverse than uh, other parts of pathology and other parts of medicine um and um uh more maybe uh uh interested in in innovation um we're in molecular pathology as you might imagine you know genetics evolves constantly um and so we're really all the time thinking about um how to test new things how to integrate uh new uh ideas into our practice um it's it's nonstop and um yeah um so that that part is really fun um you you may remember a couple years ago um there was a, a big new virus that started
0: spreading nothing it's not ringing a bell
2: no, oh no, okay no, no. there there was um it was it, it, okay
0: uh, <laughs> sure <laughs> i guess if you say so
2: i mean and um that was a big deal for molecular pathology um because uh you know viruses are made up of nucleic acid and so um all the testing that wasn't happening and then all of a sudden did happen um was, uh, a lot of the development of that fell on the shoulders of molecular pathologists and microbi microbiologists who are also part of the pathology um, continuum um and so I, personally i didn't get really elbow deep in all of that i was i was peripherally involved in developing some some COVID testing right at the beginning um but um but it, it it was it was a big deal um it was a big deal for the for the field a, a big chance to to step up and and uh uh, uh i don't want to say it was it it was exciting exactly that's not the right way to frame it but um it 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 was definitely um a a different environment for for molecular pathology than um what what we typically
0: do yeah no, I may, mean, I'm, I'm glad it was all worth it then.
2: So. May, I,
1: may <laughs> I ask a question? Um, yeah. Is it fair to say that surgical pathology uh, is, is like you get tissue and so you give uh, informed advice about how to fix the tissue or what's wrong with the tissue, whereas molecular pathology is like more about how you design a medication to treat hmm, Am I? you're making the face
2: yeah well so um all of pathology uh or i shouldn't say all the but most of pathology is diagnostic um and so the surgical pathologists for the most part are taking a patient's tissue and looking at it under the microscope and maybe applying some specific techniques in order to cause some things to be more visible Um, but at the end of the day what they're doing is looking at it and saying uh, this is the diagnosis um, and possibly you know the uh, we see metastasis or we don't see metastasis we see invasion uh, of other tissues or we don't see invasion Um, molecular pathology is looking at the genetic makeup of either the person themselves or um the cancer and uh looking for um in some cases markers of diagnosis so if you were say getting a test for um, cystic fibrosis or sickle cell anemia those tests are all done uh, in a molecular pathology lab um or if uh you're if you have if you well i I don't want to give you cancer If, if If a person has cancer, um, uh, you you may be familiar with a a lot of the advertising you see during sporting events or um, uh, uh, targeted therapies. If you have lung cancer and you've been told it has an ALK fusion, then you're eligible for this therapy or that therapy. Um, And that kind of testing that identifies an ALK fusion or any other kind of marker for a drug uh, is uh, administered by a molecular pathologist.
0: To get to your question as well, Mark, the pathologist, I don't, they, they won't tell people what is the best treatment or not, but their calls, their decisions, what they see and what they're able to find and what they're able to test for, it directs treatment in big ways and small ways and, and in multiple different ways. It can direct us to be like, okay, that's, fine, you leave it as it is and just watch it. Or it could be like, you need to have this removed. And then the oncologist can look at the tumor markers that the molecular pathologists are able to test for and say, you're also going to need this radiation, chemotherapy, etc. So the information that they provide, the pathologist is what they do, they provide information. That information is used by different groups of doctors to then direct treatment and it's massive. It's a massive. It, it, it is like the, the rate limiting step in a lot of cases, and it's the most important step. Oncologists or cancer doctors, they have this saying, tissue is the issue, which means that they, they need to have a biopsy. They need to have an answer via pathologist to know what to do, and that's where they come in. So they will help direct treatment by giving the, the information that the surgeon, the oncologist, the In my case, the gastroenterologist will then use uh, to to make decisions that that make sense. So the pathologist doesn't actually make the decision
1: as far as course of treatment. The pathologist says this is what's happening right now. And and whoever it is that they're reporting to is going to say, okay, now that I know what this thing is that's happening right now, I'm going to make the decision that this is what our course of treatment is going to be.
2: Yeah, that's basically right we, uh, we're sometimes referred to, I don't know if we're actually referred to this way, or if we just describe ourselves this way, but, um, uh, we're sometimes called the doctor's doctor. Um, we're, we're essentially, um, uh, a, a consultative service, um, that interprets the testing and the data for the doctors that are, uh, patient facing.
0: When you went through but but to become a molecular pathologist, you had to go through regular pathology training, right? I did. I did. And, and then I'm assuming some specialty training to become a molecular pathologist afterwards. Is that correct?
2: That that's true. I, I like how you hit the molecular every time.
0: Yeah. No, I want to give you your 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 <laughs> credit. Um what did the kids say? Give the your flowers. Give you your flowers. Is that, yeah, am your that flowers. correctly? Am I saying I that correctly? So. I think so. Okay, I want to give you your flowers, Jason, because you're pretty also. And I want to give you flowers. But um, I want to make sure you get that credit. Um, as, As you went through this this process, as you became a pathologist, I'm assuming you get the same question I get a lot. I get this from patients when they come in for a colonoscopy. I'm assuming you get this from like family members or friends you meet like who are like have only a limited knowledge of medicine. But do you get this loaded question which is why did you go into this field why did you choose uh pathology you you kind of talked about it a little bit at the top of the show but do do you get that question a lot do you get people not understanding why you would do this like i mean there are certain (laughs) types of medicine that are very sexy you could be like i'm a i'm a pediatric neurosurgeon and that sounds very sexy and then you could be like i'm a molecular pathologist and i don't know if people will get that so like (laughs) do you have to explain yourself a lot
2: yeah, I explain myself a lot, and um, uh, I, I would say about a second and a half is the average uh, retention time of of, uh, of the explanation. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I do um, explain what I do a lot. Uh, it can it confuses people a lot. Some of the terminology is confusing, like. Um, um, you know we say we're gonna or i say i run a lab right because i do um but when people hear that they think i do research they think i'm running a research laboratory um and we don't really have a good word that distinguishes uh, a hospital laboratory a clinical laboratory um from a research laboratory so that th- that's often fairly confusing for people um uh yeah, I mean, to the question of how how did I end up in molecular pathology, um, you know, l- like I said before, I sort of fell into pathology, fell into medicine as a, as a backup when re- my research career didn't really work out. And so I sort of floundered around a bit trying to figure out um, what I was going to do. Uh, I ended up in pathology because um, it, it's very uh, academic. It has a lot of similarities in many ways to a research career, uh, you know, to a primary research career, I should say. Um, and then uh, when I was sort of looking for residencies, looking for um, for a place to land after medical school, at one of my very first interviews, um, the uh, uh, chair of that department, um, interviewed me and she, um, took a look at my resume and she asked me if I had ever considered molecular pathology. And I said, of course I had considered molecular pathology. It's it was, absolutely, it makes complete sense for me to be doing molecular pathology.
0: What uh, is molecular and, and, pathology again? Yeah. yeah. Right. That's and so what then what I, I went,
2: I went home and I looked it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but you know, it, it you turned know out what? she was right. Um, it was a good fit
0: for me. And so I I, I, I made that my mission to, to be a molecular pathologist. Do you, do you know one of the reasons I like you, Jason? You're one of the few people I've met that's like, oh, God, I fucking ended up being a doctor as my backup plan. It fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so disappointed in myself. <laughs> oh, God. What a disappointment. What a, What a failure.
2: <laughs> I mean... Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I, I did feel that way for a while. Um, n- now I'm very happy. Like I, I cannot say an, a, enough good things about the field of molecular pathology and how happy I am to to have the job I have. I I feel very lucky. Um, but uh, it, it 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 would be dishonest to say that that was always the plan. Um, and I definitely went through um, a period where I was really struggling with um, whether uh, medicine was something I could do. And um, I struggled a lot with this with the idea of having you know failed basically at um, at a research career. Um, and I do always try to when I'm talking to people at different stages in training, especially. I try to emphasize that you know, um, just because one thing doesn't work out, um, it it it's not a disaster. It's not the end of the world. And I know you and I have talked about this before, Kaveh, that um, when when you're in medical school, a lot of people are are type A, and a lot of people um, are not used to uh, failure uh, mm-hmm. in in any form and that does not last forever for you know for almost anyone um and so a lot of people in medical school and in the medical field uh do struggle with that idea of uh you know whether it's i failed a test or uh, i struggled with my board exams or um i didn't do well on a rotation or i didn't match at the program i wanted um at the end of the day things have a way of working out Uh, and i'm not a big believer in karma or in fate, and i'm not a a religious person uh uh, by any stretch um but i do um i do like to make sure that people understand that um you can take a lot of hits (laughs) Um, and uh you can still come out um with a uh, a very very good rewarding career
0: um it it, uh, and um, yeah, did you enjoy the parts of pathology that were not directed directly molecular? I mean, I'm assuming pathologists do a lot of autopsies, right? My is that yeah a misconception? Yeah, I
2: I did about eighty myself during training. Um, I think I'm not sure what the current requirement is in training. I think it's fifty. It, it's been gradually lowering over the years because um, people are not ordering as many autopsies. But um, yeah, I enjoyed different parts of pathology to different degrees. Uh, I think I I found something to like in most parts of pathology. Um, uh, uh, Even autopsy autopsy can be really hard. Uh, I I gotta say the pediatric autopsies are tough, really tough.
0: I didn't even think about that.
1: I've been moved to comment, you know, like we've been talking about this for a lot of the podcast so far that, that that medicine kind of writ large is like a varied enough field of human knowledge that it seems as though no matter what your personality type or what it is that motivates you that, you know, that there's a, a, an area of medicine that is suited to your, you know, like that medicine can almost say like, oh, you're this kind of person. Good. We need people that are motivated in this particular way because we need you to do this kind of science and you're going to enjoy doing this and see things that other people will not because you are this type of person.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, And I think uh, in a lot of ways, that's why I've been successful uh, in my field and and why why things worked out the way they did for me um, is because even though um, I I didn't end up staying in a primary uh, research field, I had a lot of experience in genetics. um, And I had a lot of experience in um, sort of just looking at genetic data, um, and internalizing it and interpreting it before that was even a thing for medicine. Um, and so I was sort of primed to be, to, to be able to do the sorts of things that, um, uh, that my field demands, even though my field didn't exist yet. Was there something happened in, in medical knowledge
1: at that particular time that, that made your uh
0: feel the possibility Yeah. yeah
2: yeah so the human genome project was completed right around the turn of the millennium
0: jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it blue nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com
1: Life is
2: full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Um, And that was a big deal in and of itself, because it opened up a lot of avenues for understanding genetics in a way that there hadn't been before. But even beyond that, um, sort of like how the moon landing introduced a lot of technologies that didn't uh, that that had uh, uses beyond traveling in space. The Human Genome Project itself introduced new ways of actually sequencing the genome uh, quickly and cheaply um, that were then able to be leveraged for medicine. Um, so, uh, and th- those technologies have come to be called next-generation sequencing, which is a terrible name, um, but it's it's kind of what
0: we're stuck mm-hmm. with. Uh, I get a good sense of why you ended up in this field. Do you feel, how do you, I mean, I know this is impossible for you to say, like, how are you supposed to psychoanalyze your colleagues? But what what brings people in general to pathology, into general pathology? Do Are there, because I don't remember in medical school anyone being like, I want to be a pathologist necessarily. Yeah. So how do people end up in pathology? Like, what is it like, by the way, I thought it was weird when people were like, I want to be a, I want to be a cardiologist, like day one of medical school. I was always like, how do you yeah. fucking know? Just settle down. You don't fucking know. <laughs> it, you, it could yeah. suck. You might hate it. Just relax. But like, I no one ever said, no one ever claimed at least they wanted to be a pathologist. And we've, I think, made it pretty clear, hopefully by now, how important it is. So like, how do people how are people ending up in the field what what's bringing people to it
2: um i can't i i don't know that i can speak broadly about it um i think um uh, taking a step back to address sort of one of the things you said essentially everybody i know from medical school that knew what they wanted to do on day one was wrong like they, they, they ended up doing some other thing than what right. they declared they were interested in for the most part. Um, with respect to um, what kind of person goes into pathology or what makes them want to go into pathology, um, I think uh, there tends to be um, a, a sort of academic interest, um, m- maybe uh, that might not be the right way to put it. Um, I think people that are interested in, in, in the why of disease, um, this is h- maybe hard to explain to people that haven't been through medical school. Um, but, um, a lot of medic, a lot of medicine, um, doesn't care why, um, w- we didn't know how aspirin worked, um, for for hundreds and hundreds of years while people were still uh, using it for, for, to alleviate pain. A lot of medicine is just, we do it because it works. Um, and some of medicine is just, we do it because we do it. It's not, they're not even 100% sure it works. I think the people that go into pathology um, are interested in um, mechanisms. They're interested in uh, the why of medicine um and um uh there's certainly an aspect of uh of, of a, a nice lifestyle and um uh you know uh people go into uh, different fields for all kinds of different reasons i can't really step into anybody else's brain um but what i can say is that it's incredibly rewarding um There is an incredible diversity within the field and you can find all kinds of different things to like. Um, And um, it's very compatible with um, uh, uh, the rest of your life um, in a way that lots of fields in medicine are not. Um, I often say that, uh, uh, you know, while a lot of, um, there's a lot of data right now showing that um, doctors are increasingly unhappy with medicine. Um, And statistically, that seems to be true. It does not seem to be true of pathologists. Pathologists, by and large, do seem to um, remain happy with being pathologists and um, I'm thrilled with my career. So um, anybody out there that's thinking about pathology as a career, uh, please uh, drop me a line if you wanna hear more about it. it's a it's a great field super rewarding i'm reminded of uh i I can't remember i think it might have been
1: dr glaucum flecken who might have posted this but i'm remembering this meme that was like or variation on a meme where it was like um you know somebody who's you know it's like a a photo of big bird being escorted by a bunch of imperial like stormtroopers and it says uh you know uh person who's planning on going into pediatrics doing a rotation for you know, hematology oncology or something like that, you know, it's like, yeah. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm wondering, since we're talking about like the psychology of why you decide to go into one or another, can you think of what you're, you know, like, what's the, what's the pathologist doppelganger? What's the, you know, like what's the opposite of a pathologist? What is, where is a pathologist, the big bird being escorted by? You... <laughs> oh,
2: that's
0: a good question. Uh, maybe psychiatry I, um <laughs> cuz it's the exact opposite you like to some degree it's like you're not dealing with just the the pure pathology the known aspects that you can look at under a microscope there's aspects of it that are that, that require this non mathematical sort of approach that require a sort of a the just a pure psychiatric approach.
2: approach Kaveh? <laughs> perhaps a heuristic approach yeah, I mean I think, you know, psychiatry is very patient facing. It's almost de- definitionally patient facing and pathology um there are ways to interact with, with patients in pathology, certainly the transfusion people do. Um and I, I I I miss interacting with patients. I would love to have more opportunity to do that. Um but uh we have to be honest that most pathologists do not encounter patients very frequently at all. So, um, th- there, there's that aspect, and then, as you said, like, um, there's a, a certain component of. Um, I don't want to. I, I don't want to sound dismissive of psychiatry because I'm not. I think it's very important. It's a very important field, um, but there there is an element of like once they figure out the neurological mechanism, it becomes neurology's deal right it it it's 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 not um it, it it's 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 about treating patients and taking care of people empirically it's not it's not really always about figuring out why um things right. are working there, there's
0: no if there was like a good test to be like okay we're gonna do this uh serological marker to see if you have schizophrenia like and then once you have it, we'll give you this management. Then it, it wouldn't be a psychiatrist; it would be something else. That's an interesting, it's an interesting take. I'm waiting to hear what our uh, psychiatrist friends have to say about that. But yeah, I'm probably
2: going to get a lot of emails with that. I, got,
1: I was just imagining like uh, Jason's description of like a pathologist uh, interacting with a patient as kind of like uh, being like Ralph Wiggum trying to start <laughs> a conversation with Lisa Simpson saying so do you like stuff
2: (laughs) yeah yeah if if you get if you ever get a call from your pathologist
0: something has that's not going to be a a good conversation (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've never gotten a call from a pathologist who's like hey good news it was benign (laughs) yeah (laughs) no it's never happened um I get the sense from talking to you that you feel like there is a very bright future in pathology, in particular molecular pathology, because it it sounds like it's a relatively new field, but there's a lot of exciting things happening. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like this is sort of the frontier of, of new medicine?
2: yeah, I do. Um I think uh, there's a lot of reason for excitement and and um and for uh, promise in developing new treatments and and a new understanding of disease. It's a little it's a little bit tricky, though, because the field has sort of grown up in a new environment of medical austerity. Um, w- in contrast to sort of uh, when radiology was booming, Uh, in the eighties when CT scans and MRIs blew up um, and people were not as concerned with healthcare costs. Uh, Now there's a lot we can do with genetics and genomics, and there are a lot of potential ways to expand the field, but we're also in an environment where um, we're cutting um, uh, reimbursement rates, where uh we're really concerned with ballooning healthcare costs and so it 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 is a challenge to be in an uh in an exciting dynamic field uh, where you'd like to see investment when the the sort of environment is um is not as uh investment friendly as maybe other
0: parts of medicine
2: got to experience
0: Let's go to some listener questions. We have some listener questions from a couple of different places. Let's start with some of the listener questions from Blue Sky, which, by the way, if you want to follow me, I am now on Blue Sky. I'm trying to detach myself from Twitter as much as possible. Um, Here's a question from Thomas Nguyen at N-U-G-E Nuge at Blue Sky. I think this is probably more for coroners, but since pathologists can sometimes be coroners. So dogs and cats really eat their owners after they die? That's true, right?
2: That's true, <laughs> right? Oh, oh um, cats, cats, yes. Uh, dogs uh, have to get really, really hungry. Um, but, but cats do not care about you. Oh, I,
1: the whole thing with cats, the reason that they nip at you or the reason that animals nip at you is because they're trying to wake you up.
2: Okay, game's no, over.
1: Stop playing.
2: This is beyond. Like, if you've ever seen the results, the consequences of of, of this, you would know it's more than just trying to wake you up. Like, <laughs>
0: the
2: they're they're eating you. <laughs> the uh, yeah. Listen, um,
0: listen. If I'm being real right now for a second, if the three of us are in a plane crash in the Andes and I'm done. I just want you to know I'm very well marbled and I hope you enjoy me. I want you guys to survive and if you have to eat me, I'm totally cool with that. Just so you know. I'm just putting it out there.
1: I I pro, I'm uh I'm the sort of person who I I I value life. Uh it annoys me when people talk about, "Oh, you eat hot dogs. That's like cow vaginas." Um so I'm just gonna tell you kave that if we're in a plane crash in the andes i promise we will
0: eat all of you thanks man i won't eat you because you're stringy i feel like you'd be gamey i don't i don't know if i'd have to be really hungry to have to take some gas away i'm
1: fattening myself up i'm i'm in the middle of my second alcoholic beverage uh in just (laughs) in this one podcast you know that's gonna you know sugar it's gonna turn into fat because i don't
0: exercise enough where
2: where do you buy your hot dogs?
0: The, va- the vagina, the, the cow vaginas <laughs> or I don't know if they make them have cow vaginas. Um, all right. Here's a question from Scott Mullen, PhD. Are there day and night shift pathologists? And in a lab without windows, does it even matter? Now, I, that, <laughs> it's a bit tongue in cheek, but it does raise a good question to me, which is um, in terms of people who are looking for like, you know, good work life balance. Yeah. Um, i'm assuming you don't get called in the middle of the night that much am i wrong about that
2: uh i don't as a molecular pathologist there aren't very many reasons uh to take call there are a couple it depends a little bit on how your your practice is set up but um as a pathology resident and certainly as a surgical pathologist or as a a a transfusion pathologist um we we take call um one of the things that um i think it, uh people outside of pathology don't exactly appreciate about pathology call is that um we're on call for a whole week and there no matter what happens on your overnight call um you work the next day um and You know on average i guess it probably evens out that you you know some nights you get no call at all and you just get to sleep i guess um and then other nights you're you're up all night um but it does work a little bit differently than most other um uh, medical specialties there's no recovery period necessarily the next day and if you have a really bad week that's it you just had a really bad week um the kinds of calls that people take are are frozen sections um uh for your non-medical listeners a frozen section is when you're uh, uh doing a surgery if, if you're a surgeon and you're operating um especially if there's a concern for cancer you will um, call the pathologist on call to do uh, 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 an immediate, frozen section, uh, look at a little piece of tissue to see if there's any tumor there. Um, And so uh, that's one of the big reasons to get a call Um, transfusion reactions or um, uh, emergency, you know, um, maybe there's a big car accident or a a, 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 a mass trauma event or something and a lot of blood needs to be administered Um, that that could be a call. Um, so the, we we do take call, there, and call can be fairly burdensome, um, but it, it is somewhat different from other other parts of
0: the uh, medical community. Ah, okay, fair enough. I mean, you're not being called in the middle of the night to remove a hot dog from someone's throat. So um, I think you mean you... a cow vagina. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs>
1: exactly right Holy cow vaginas that weren't in hot dogs have been removed from people
0: <laughs> in the middle of the night um you mentioned that the number of autopsies are going down mm-hmm. and that people doing them are, is that because
1: fewer people are dying these days
0: yes wait for real <laughs> No. okay good. I, was, I was like it doesn't feel like that more people um, are living forever than ever before why are the number um, of autopsies going down
2: um i think they are undervalued um well well, part of it part of it is just economics um uh insurance companies don't really pay for autopsies nobody really pays for an autopsy um and so um the uh uh the american healthcare system which is driven by um Compensation basically um, doesn't really uh, reward doing autopsies. Um, there's a medical legal risk aspect to it. Um, uh, a lot, I think, a lot of physicians are m- growing ever more cautious about ordering an autopsy that then shows something that they might be um, liable for. Um, there are certain, uh, basically, criminal proceedings that require an autopsy. Um, So uh, I think under some circumstances, if somebody dies of an overdose, um, uh, et cetera, like there's a a list of reasons when you have to get an autopsy. Um, But medical autopsies ordered by the hospital um, are growing more rare. And um, it's too, it's too bad, um, actually, um, uh, because um, you learn a lot, um, uh, about the patient, you learn, a lot you, you learn a lot, um, uh, about medicine. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it's something that, um, I think is, is a loss to, to medicine that, that we don't really
0: encourage, uh, encourage it the way it used to be. Dude, how much of this is, do you feel like fear of litigation? in fear of people just like i mean we, we live in a blame state and uh, you know we had a guest on here uh who was a pilot and a trained in surgery and he became a pilot after he trained in like cardiothoracic surgery and he recently wrote a book neil downey and it the book is about you know how much the world of medicine could learn from the world of you know the flight industry and yeah. safety And a big part of that is like in the, in the world of safety, like talking about mistakes, talking about things that didn't go right is like a natural, normal part of the process. And it's something you should do and it helps protect things. And in medicine, there's, I feel like that is changing over time. I feel like there's less, um, you know, I'm not in the strictly academic environment, like I used to be in training, so it's hard to know, but you know, there there's the concept of the M M&M, and M of the morbidity and mortality, where you sit down with a group of doctors, you talk about what went wrong and how yeah. to fix it. That doesn't seem to be as common a thing as it used to be, or as as much emphasis placed on it and importance placed on it as I felt like it was. Do you feel like there's some component of that that keeps us from doing autopsies?
2: Yeah, I definitely. I th- I think oh, oh, there's um. Uh, um an aversion to medical legal risk that is a component um, uh, of of driving people away from doing autopsies um i think beyond you, you you said something important which is definitely true that we we should grapple with our mistakes and we still do that in the hospital there are still mort- mortality and morbidity conferences um but the key there is that you know a mistake was made um and one of the things um autopsies uh do is uh r- reveal um not e- uh, mistakes it may be the wrong word but that um they r- reveal how the practice of medicine affects patients um they, they reveal whether um you know uh, if you Maybe you were operating under the assumption that a treatment was working um, and the autopsy can show that it wasn't. Um, And that's valuable information, even if it didn't directly contribute to the patient's demise. um, Those kinds of investigations uh, are important and they're 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 um, uh, uh, increasingly uh, rare. Um, And I, I agree with you. I think a lot of it is because of risk. A lot of it is is is, um also that um people just don't necessarily medicine takes up so much time now you i mean you know right right, as as well as anybody that to add something to your plate um you know i've got to follow up on this autopsy when nobody really is demanding it and um and you're not going to get paid for it um is uh it's a lot to ask of of a busy uh of, of a person with a busy practice so i, I think it, it you know there are a lot of a, a lot of factors that play into it but um it is too bad it it, it, it it's a, a useful exercise in medicine i think
1: this might be actually getting a little too into the weeds as far as like defining words but i thought it was really interesting earlier when you referred to forensic pathology as Oh, those are the people that do autopsies because <laughs> the the word forensic, mm-hmm. like literally forensics is like the use of science in the process of like understanding uh, what happened when a crime got committed. You know, and it's almost like you were like I- immediately drawing an equivalency of like, okay, forensic pathologists—they're the ones that do autopsies—not because forensic means oh, we're the people that look at dead people, but like, you know, the only time that we would look at uh, you know, like that we would perform pathology on a dead person would be to go uh, you know, to understand how what what happened in a crime, as opposed to what you're talking about, which is like more educative.
2: Well, I. I... I might I I don't know maybe we should look up exactly what forensic means I, 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 my understanding uh, of the term is more um that it is uh uh it it, it well let's let's look it up I'm I'm not going to All right forensic
1: definitions from Oxford languages one yep. relating to or denoting the application of scientific methods and techniques to the investigation of crime two relating to courts of law okay
2: boom you got served sucker i got All served right
1: baby we know words
2: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so i mean um it is called forensic pathology um uh I, one of their primary roles is to um determine uh, cause and manner of, of death um but uh as i was indicating in the in the previous discussion they they really do a lot more than that uh, you know
0: no I, I i could see it being used in a more general sense which is like if there is a mystery if it's unclear yeah if we're that's... trying to figure out like if we're trying to solve a riddle or try to solve a puzzle or a problem i i can see that um yeah, my
2: understand my understanding of the term was more that it meant investigative rather than specifically related right. to a crime. But um but uh I will defer to uh <laughs> well, to gasway one would, so.
1: one would think all pathology is investigative
2: that you're not yeah. doing pathology because you think it's fun
0: yeah that's fun though it is fun it,
2: yeah i i think it I, I mean what i do is fun to me um i i wouldn't pretend that everybody would enjoy what i do but um i i think it's fun yeah well so okay so miriam webster not not to go back and forth wow on that.
1: we're really doing this
2: um miriam webster has forensic um as meaning um related to courts or the judiciary, but also sort of generally um, relating to argumentation or rhetoric. Um, and that was sort of my understanding of how the term is applied in pathology.
0: Is more Finally, getting than... that debate on this show that people have been so richly deserving. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, Okay. I, d- I didn't think we could get more esoteric and nerdy than a broad-based pathology discussion, but we descended into competing dictionaries.
0: All right, it's probably a good sign for us to close up here. Um, Jason, it was a uh, it was a pleasure like talking to you and hanging out. This has been our second time hanging out, you and I. Um, I'm sorry we never got to hang out back in Berkeley. I think that would have been a lot of fun. I liked your work on the Heuristic Squelch. I'm even more impressed with your work managing this massive lab that you are doing currently and the work you're doing. If you wanted to plug something, this is the time to do it. Is there anything you would like to plug? It can be anything uh, from your favorite uh, deli to your Twitter account, anything you want.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not... I'm not that excited about Twitter anymore, so I'm, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, can I anti-plug that?
0: Yeah, um, it's a real bummer. It's a real bummer these days.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, no, I I, I, I um, cede my plug time to the gentleman from Los Angeles.
0: <laughs> Mark! Mark! Please tell people where they can hear you, where they can see you, and hey, you whatever else. Rosenbaum's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I would love that I would love if we could all hang out and have a beer like the old-fashioned days but uh we will you do guys, that you guys are welcome it's over a hundred here today so uh... what's it like in LA right now Mark uh well it's nighttime
2: yeah that's mm-hmm. the answer you gave me earlier too yeah, yeah but the audience
1: didn't hear it because it was it... Just me sitting here while Kave was going
2: I asked you what the weather was and you told me it was
0: nighttime <laughs> that's not weather <laughs>
1: uh Um, it's it's balmy it's nice it was a very warm sunny day and uh now it's cool and balmy
0: well tell people where they can find you because i i have mentioned you a ton of times on this show and your music and how much i enjoy it authentically honestly (laughs) um in fact I, i was just listening to your album uh live at the the v uh tonight on a road trip with my family and the and, and loved it loved it uh as always so where can people find it and where can uh, people hear it yeah
1: it's a, it's actually called the crowd at the v which that's is I a reference to one of the song lyrics that's on it uh um, it's
2: not the cow v <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow that was nice that was good
2: <laughs> that's some four-dimensional chess you just played on that joke <laughs> <laughs> Uh, For the comedy novices in the audience, that's what we call a callback. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Uh,
1: No, yeah, The Crowd at the V um, is uh, available on uh you know any place that you are streaming music spotify youtube music apple music anything like that uh and it was recorded at my kind of musical living room which is uh the varnish which is uh speakeasy style cocktail bar in historic cora downtown los angeles where i run the music program that i am very very proud of uh so if you're in los angeles and you're looking for an excellent cocktail and you want to hear some good music and it happens to be between sunday and uh wednesday soon to be thursday come by and uh and and have a
0: listen and have a sip i absolutely second that i mean even if mark's not there particularly if mark is there obviously but it's a great place to go get a drink it's a very cool hip place great cocktails and the music as mark has mentioned has been put together by his own hand and is fantastic it's never been bad so highly recommend it um, you guys have been amazing. Uh, thank you to lucky dog hot sauce for the delicious hot sauces that they make that I love so much. Gentlemen, uh, you should have received your hot sauces. Um, have you had a chance to try your hot sauces yet? I'm going through it a bottle
1: at a time. I'm not doing We We were both sent just for the listening audience. We were both sent four bottles of hot sauce uh and i'm i guess i'm going th- maybe i could go through all four like a bit at a time but i seem to be working through it one bottle at a time they're delicious hot sauces i'm very excited to go through the remainder of them um i uh part of me wishes that we were doing like kind of a hot ones yeah tm um uh thing where like we could sit here and uh just try them and dr you- rosenbaum were forced to answer questions about pathology while eating progressively spicier and more intolerable hot sauces. It's a
0: good idea. I'm surprised no one's done that yet. It's a
2: Mark, great were idea you for part, sure. were you part of the evening in college when I was dared to drink an entire bottle of Tabasco sauce?
1: It wasn't just you. I think it was uh, you and Patrick Marcosano. we Yeah, I yeah, wasn't
2: going to name yeah. people. Yeah, Edit that part. Name <laughs> part. Name that because guy. Because I was in the middle of
1: saying it, that it's like
0: the Harm of him being named like in, a,
2: <laughs> in a dare? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, yes. he's probably he's, the uh, last person that would mind, but
1: there were there were certain uh, th- th- this was uh, to my recollection, was at a super bowl party. I don't remember which super bowl, but there were
0: uh, like I, super I, bowl I, three, probably given how old you guys
1: are. Hey, hey boom! Yes, fun sorry, far through the you know, the, the the magical touchdown pack. Uh, no, um. Uh, I don't remember if it was that year or if it was a different year. Uh, yes, I do recall the look on Jason Rosenbaum's face after having drunk a full pint glass of Tabasco sauce. Oh shit! You did it. A
0: whole yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Pint glass. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't remember whether it was that year or was it a different year where uh, uh, our our buddy Chang Ku uh, drank. Love that guy. Yeah, great, Aves met him. Um,
0: uh, I I
1: also have met him. (laughs) uh, Drank an entire pint of Guinness in literally one second. It was like he just got ready and just opened up the
0: channel. Oh, yeah. We we got a guy like that on this show. Um, Yeah, he also,
1: by the way, this is the same dude who once at a party on a dare, drank four pints of Guinness in one minute.
0: Wait, wait, wait! Can we can we get back? I was was there. Hey, not Jason. Wait, wait, wait! Let's get back to the hot sauce. Jason, you know, how
1: did you? Oh yeah.
0: yeah. Tell tell me about that. How did you? How did that go? Were you dying of reflux afterwards? Like, did you? I mean, had you practiced that? Like, was that? I
2: had not practiced it. Um, I will say that going in wasn't the problem. (laughs) Um, and you're you're a gastroenterologist so you can you peed it out right yeah yeah (laughs) okay
1: jason is a man of many exploits i'm recall i'm recalling a conversation that i had with jason uh shortly after he graduated in which he remarked it's amazing how much work I managed to get done as an undergrad, considering all the time that I spent watching Star Trek.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. All right, my true. my friends, it was a pleasure seeing you uh, here on this little Zoom conference call. I hope people walk away with a, a more in-depth understanding of uh, pathology. I certainly have. All right, thank you guys both so much. I love you both. If you were going
1: to do it, I was going to do it. Yeah.
2: I just know a lot of words. that doesn't mean I'm smart. Um, yeah, yeah but- when you say it's well-tolerated, Kabe, it makes me feel like uh, you, you give the same sort of speech before a colonoscopy. <laughs>